if we keep playing and fighting for each other, and no matter what happens, we just say, what's next? That's all we do. Somebody turn on some damn music. Listening to the Gambling Gauchos. Talking Texas Tech. Betting on the Big 12 and beyond. We've got everything you need money lines, memes, and matadors. Well, you want to quit, Ethan? That'll be the day. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro. The Money Line Matadors, the Casino Cowboys, the Parlay Picadors. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. With the Gambling Gauchos. Oh, and one more thing it's all West Texas. It always has been. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. Live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. You can gear up for the rest of the Texas Tech baseball games at Cardinals. We were about to get a sweet throwback Lady Raiders lid. I don't think that's going to happen. No fault of Cardinals. They tried. They put it in the they put in the request. Might get some Coach Gas merch. Hint, hint. We don't know yet. We'll see. Uh, otherwise, you can just do whatever you want there at Cardinals. As long as you pay for it. Right outside the loop in Lubbock or at Plano, mycardinalsports.com. This is another episode of the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Gambling Gaucho style. Kyle, how you doing? Gas. Gas pedal. What's your favorite gas-related song? Gas pedal or gasolina? Oh, those are the only two I have to choose from? Those are the only two I can think of. What about any song by the few, by the band Fuel? Sure. Would that count? Yeah, I guess. If you don't, because then I might be going hemorrhage parentheses in my hands acoustic version. The acoustic version. Yeah. Not a big uh, gas pedal guy. Face the wall. I I like both versions. Uh I'm a sucker for that genre. Um, Late '90s, early 2000s, kind of like post grunge. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to. Disturbed this summer. Ooh, Sound of Silence. Breaking Benjamin, Disturbed. Should be good. I'm going to John Mayer in October. Acoustic. Dude, the stars aligned. Um, I saw that he was coming to Dallas. Excuse me, going to Dallas. I don't live in Dallas. On October 28th, you know, Saturday. And I was like, well, I wonder what's on the college football slate. Because, like, I'm not going right. to miss a game in Lubbock or – if it's an away game, then it might be one of the ones I'm going to. Well, it's our bye week. So I was like, all right, let's go. I saw some uh, photos or video from a, 
uh, a concert on that tour. It's pretty sweet. Was it gas? Intimate. Mm. He's sitting down. The lights are down. You get to know John Mayer there. The stool. The gal I sit next to at work went to the Taylor Swift deal in Arlington this past weekend. How was that? Uh, I guess she liked it, but she's mad at me for enjoying John Mayer because I guess there's beef there. Is there still beef? I feel like, you know, we talk about rent-free a lot, usually as a joke. I feel like John Mayer probably lives rent-free in Taylor Swift's head, which is preposterous because she's like the number one superstar in the world. It's like you're not over a breakup from 2009. Well, I think the Swifties probably think about it more than she does. That That's fair, and that's also rent-free. The Swifties are rent-free in a lot of... They're like uh, the Bayhive from our era. The Bayhive? Yeah. Beyonce's fans? <laughs> Not familiar with the Bayhive? Not really. The Swifties... I do know one thing, though. Yeah. Uh, Joey McGuire's going to put a ring on it, and I'm talking Big 12 championship ring. How about that? What do you think the soonest year that can... Do you think it could happen this year? I think this year would be tough. I think after this year, people who aren't Texas Tech fans might roll their eyes at this. I think after this year, um, I think you'll be in the top quartile, you know, the top quadrant of the conference. And I think that means you're going to be competitive for conference championships. And allow me to explain myself a little bit there. A... By year three, assuming that the staff is mostly still intact, you know, one, that would go a long way. Like, I think you have a really good offensive coordinator. I think you have a really good defensive coordinator. Um, So if you have continuity there, and by that point, they would have had, let's see, three full recruiting classes under their belt, plus whatever they get in the portal. And they're, they're out recruiting a lot of their peers or are right there with them. Like, I think... McGuire's first year when he didn't have the full recruiting cycle, he was two spots behind Baylor. And then this year was maybe two spots ahead of Baylor. So, like, let's call that a draw. Um, TCU has recruited well coming off their um, playoff berth. But, yeah, like, you're not getting out-recruited by Oklahoma State. You're not getting out-recruited by BYU, UCF. And so, for once, you know, this was a borderline impossibility when Texas and OU were still in the conference. You're not going to have more talent than them ever. But in the new Big 12, I don't see why there's not a scenario where, like, you and TCU are the two most talented squads any given Saturday. And so if you're pretty consistently positioning yourself in the top three or four and the coaching is there, the talent is there, I don't see why you couldn't be extremely competitive for a conference championship that early. I agree. And I think you'll be competitive for it this year. Um, competitive. I, I don't know that you'll win it, but you look around the conference and, you know, TCU, new quarterback, new interior offensive line. Uh, you look at Baylor coming new from where they coordinator were. New offensive TCU. coordinator, yeah. Uh, you look at Baylor, uh, new defensive coordinator. Plus, you're, are you settled at quarterback? I know they have a returning quarterback, but I think there are some uh, – I think there's a competition there with Sawyer Robertson coming in. Uh, Oklahoma State, Alan Bowman looking like the starting quarterback. Plus, 
a lot of transfers in and out there at Oklahoma State. What are they going to be? Um, does Texas, Texas have the most kind of continuity going from from one to the next, even though they lose Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson? Well, like let's fast forward for when Texas know you leave, and and let's assume that you're at twelve teams after that. There's no expansion. Again, this might be a, a jarring argument to some people to have a certain perception of the Texas Tech football program. But why would you not be – what year would that be? 2024. Why would you not be in the top three or four best position programs? Like let's say Climate still has it rolling at Kansas State. Yeah. Let's say Sonny Dyke still has it rolling at TCU. Aranda at Baylor. Like is it really that outlandish to think that you're in that same grouping? Like – if we think Neil Brown is kind of on thin ice at West Virginia, we're not sure how the newcomers are going to transition. Matt Campbell has kind of underwhelmed the last couple of years. The way Joey's recruiting and all that, like, why wouldn't you be? I know that Oklahoma State has beaten you, I don't know what, like nine of the last 11 seasons or whatever it's been. And so they probably think that's ridiculous. But it's like, look at the current trend lines, you know? Like, you guys – finished a game below us last season. You lost your bowl game. We're lapping you in recruiting. Like, I know it has been one way, but to me, you hit the reset button by hiring Joey McGuire, and look at how things have trended since that. And that was only a year and a half ago. Like, imagine with another year or two under his belt where this could be. And so um, maybe that's a – crazy take and it's not as likely to happen as I think it is through my scarlet and black colored glasses. But I I'm trying to look at this objectively. And I think that you're going to be in the upper echelon talent wise, coaching wise. And so I don't know why you can't be competitive. On the back of that recruiting uh, spiel, you just gave Trey Jackson, South Oak cliff six, five, uh, Wide receiver slash tight end. He's listed as a tight end in the recruiting class. That's the eighth recruit in this class. Early in the spring, Joey McGuire said that they were going to go for 18 high school recruits in this class. Um, unless somebody declares or leaves early or transfers out. But I feel like that's a good window that he was trying to provide. So 18, so you're, you know, halfway there almost. I saw him listed at six six, and if that's the case, he would be your second six foot six pass catcher because you've got Ivan Carry on. A he's listed at wide receiver. This young man listed at tight end, but uh, that's the kind of body type you're recruiting. You can get some pretty serious mismatches all over the field, especially if you complement that with with some good speed. And I don't know how fast each of those two guys are. I'm not saying just because they're tall, they're not fast, but you got six six guys and speedsters out on the field, that is tough to defend. Yeah, six five, six six, two ten in high school. You gotta think he's gonna add ten or fifteen immediately when he gets here. Uh and the frame you have uh certainly depends on that, but that's stuff that they look at. Uh, another note that Joey gave you, uh Miles Cole is an inch shorter than Tyree Wilson, but has a longer wingspan. I was going back and looking at some some press yep. conferences he's given in the spring. Uh, that was an interesting note. And Tyree Wilson doesn't have a small wingspan. Like right. you know, a lot of these quarterbacks go to the combine and get their hands measured. And they're like, oh yeah, they're kind of small. Like Tyree Wilson isn't a good defensive end who happens to have short arms. Um, 
know, he has, he has long arms too. And um, so, yeah, that that's pretty impressive with Miles Cole. And uh, we talked about him on our defensive preview, but a guy who really flashed at the end of last year and excited to see how they use him this season. Um, last note on this tight end commit. Um, it, it's happening again. It's Groundhog Day again. You you see the commitment news and you pull up the offer list and you go, okay, Louisiana Tech, UTSA. Jackson State. Yeah, a couple other G5s. Like, you know, that, if you're only taking 18 high school kids, that's kind of early to take his commitment. Well, give it a few weeks. He'll have some Big Ten offers or whatever, and uh, nobody will be worried about that. It's the same thing that happened when Will Hammond, when they accepted his commitment. I think no other Power Five offers at the time. I could be wrong there. But then right after that, it's like, okay, here's Penn State. Here's Oregon. Here's A&M. I don't remember who all he got since then. But anyway, I'm trusting the eval because they've given you literally no reason not to trust the eval. And goes back to that quote that I've mentioned on this podcast a few times. Uh, before McGuire coached a game here, he was at the, the Rotary Club in Lubbock, and he said, if we offer a guy who doesn't have any offers, he said, don't worry. He can play. Our scouts are just better than everybody else's. And, of course, you love the confidence, but it's like, okay, yeah, like I guess we'll see if that's true or not. And it's just – it's proven true over and over again. I mean, you lost Calvin Simpson Hunt to Ohio State um, because when he committed to you, you were his only Power 5 offer. He had Navy, I think, at the time. And so over and over, they keep finding these kids that later on down the road, some SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12 schools want, and they're just getting to them early, which is great that they, one, have that ability to identify that on film, uh, and then, two, that they – are so good at building relationships that they can establish that early, earn the commitment, and then hopefully hold off some of these bigger schools um, that might be more likely to secure commitment from a prospect like that. Yeah, before or after, let's say June 1st, does he get a, an offer from Notre Dame? Yeah, exactly. Because Notre Dame is one of the schools trying to get uh, James Blanchard to come work for him. Well, and they took one of your receivers toward the end of last recruiting cycle. Yep. They've been really focused on what Texas Tech is doing. Yeah. And so, you know, look, you would love to win those recruiting battles, but if you're evaluating guys and offering guys first who then wind up going to Ohio State and Notre Dame and you can't quite fend off programs like that, it it certainly beats where you were in recruiting even two or three years ago um, when, you know, you're trying to, like, well, I was going to throw an example there, but we're on the Republic of Football podcast, so I don't want to throw shade at an in-state school. But, you know, it's like trying to hold off, I don't know. You can. Houston, back when they were a group of five. It's like, you know, hey, we really shouldn't be having to try this hard just to win a guy that has zero other Power Five offers. And now it's like, hey, Notre Dame offered. Can we fend them off or not? And, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But um, anyway – this guy has no offers really to speak of at this point, at least at the power five level, but I'm sure that'll change based on uh, if history is any indication. Yeah. A few years ago, you're fending off Tulsa. For recruits. There you go. Yeah. That's a good yeah. out of the Republic of football yeah. uh, network example to use. A couple other names. Um, I guess I want to give you a buy or sell. These are all names I'm buying. Uh, I want to see if you're buying them like I am. Uh, the first one is a guy who had a highlight 
Here's a guy. Here's a guy. Uh, he had a highlight catch on Twitter this week. One of the guys that they spotlighted, uh, Koi Eakin. He is the same build physically. I'm just saying, as Cooper Cup. Not trying to give, but you know, six foot two hundred, whatever it is, six two. Uh, buying or selling on him being productive this season? Because I I do think he's a really bright future, but. I will buy, um, and here's why. I think Jaron Bradley has pretty well locked down one of the outside receiver spots, but the other one seems like a handful of different guys could factor in. Koi Eakin is one of them. Brady Boyd, Dre McCray, if he plays on the outside. J.J. Sparkman, a returner from last year who got a lot of run at that position. Loic Fungi. So anyway, all that to say, I think he'll have a decent amount of opportunity. And there were some – Interesting spots where they targeted him last year. It's like you don't see him much. And, like, we're going to throw him in the game against Texas. I think it was Texas. Backed up on our own one-yard line, and we're going to throw it to him down the sideline on, like, second and long. It's like, okay, that's an interesting spot to give a true freshman an opportunity to make a big play. So they must be seeing something from him in practice. Twitter certainly saw something from him in practice. Uh, Like you alluded to, that video is a great catch. So, yeah, I think he'll have – I don't know if he's going to emerge as the starter at that opposite position from Jaron Bradley, but I think he could work himself into the rotation and the talent is certainly there. So uh, I'll, I'll buy. He's listed at 6'2", 210. Now, he's very athletic too. He was a late add to that class from uh, Stephenville. Yeah, he had kind of an interesting recruitment. Um he like led the nation in receiving yards and the film is crazy. Like he scores on every play, but I guess programs didn't think he had the measurables or, or what, but yeah, he was a really late ad. I don't think you were super competitive with other power five schools or anything for his services. Um, but I, I'm of the mindset at a certain point, like if you're producing at that level in high school, like you can obviously play football. I don't care what, if it's four, a five, a six, a, or, if you're measurables or this or that, like if you have 2,500 receiving yards, you have 2,500 receiving yards, you can probably get open and catch the ball. So uh, I was glad that they, that they um, added him to that class and probably wasn't expecting him to be in the fold last year or this year. Just thought that maybe he was a guy that would need some development, but the way things are trending, it seems like he will have that opportunity. All right. Another guy that's uh, been, talked about in press conferences and otherwise from two or three different coaches uh, in different aspects. Ben Roberts, 6'3", 230, redshirt freshman from Hazlitt. He went to Easton High School. Um, Joey McGuire like, was raving about Ben Roberts at linebacker. Um, could be a starter as a redshirt freshman. Josiah Pierre, obviously moving back to middle linebacker. Um, Jacob Rodriguez playing on that inside linebacker role. But Ben Roberts, are you buying or selling a breakout season from the freshman there? All by again, and for the same reason, I think that's a position that's rife with opportunity. And when we were doing our defensive preview, I think we identified linebacker as a spot where you're probably weakest on offense or defense. Um, maybe O-line would be comparable on offense, but you lose Dimitri Moore, you lose uh, Krishan Merriweather. We don't know um, if or when Bryce Ramirez will be back and, and if he is back in what capacity. 
So the fact that they're moving a guy like Josiah Pierre to the inside and, um, you know, kind of moving some guys around just to fill the two deep, to me, indicates that there's opportunity there. And if he's getting reviews like that in spring ball, it makes you think that he's one of those guys that has worked his way into the rotation there. Um, so, yeah, I'll buy. I mean, considering, like, how I'm valuing his stock price, the fact that I didn't really know his name until he started being talked about this offseason, um, yeah, I think he's clearly trending up pretty quickly. I've got another linebacker for you. Um, this is this is a guy who is a super senior, has been here the entire course of his career, um, and, and he's a guy who I think can double or triple his stats if he gets playing time. Uh, Tart Matthews. Uh, buying or selling him being an integral part of the defense this year. I'm a little more torn on this one. Um, I would say bye because I think he could mirror Kosai Eldridge, a guy who not a shot at him was more or less just here for the first part of his career as a Red Raider. And then last year became like a real contributor and impact player kind of guy. And so could he follow that same trajectory? Sure. And that would speak really well to your, your ability to, to develop guys at that position. But having said that, you know, if, if these young guys are trending up and Jacob Rodriguez is there, they move Josiah Pierre over, is it too crowded for him to have an opportunity to make that kind of impact? So that's one I might, I guess, hold, like be in between buy or sell. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised either way, I guess. Yeah, that one's going to be really, really interesting. In, in some ways, I thought he really flashed in a couple of games last year. I thought the West Virginia game maybe. He made some really good plays, and I thought he was pretty good against Ole Miss. Uh, but again, he just hasn't had a lot of opportunities. Now, I think if he's coming back, he feels like the opportunity is there to play. Um, but that will be an interesting, uh, an interesting, how do I want to put this, storyline that Tyreek Matthews is either on the field way more this year or just kind of likes to be at Texas Tech because you might see that more often too as a super senior. Well, and it could, it, or I'm, I'm sure it would be impacted by a guy I mentioned a few minutes ago, Kosai Eldridge. Apparently his waiver is still pending. Yes. And they're trying to prove that he didn't play enough snaps or, or games in JUCO um, for that season to count against his eligibility. And I, I guess I have no idea when that could be wrapped up. I mean, it's April, and he doesn't know if he's allowed to play in September. That's kind of crazy to me. Um, and so if he's back, you know, he's essentially a returning starter in a lot of ways. Um, and so that sort of knocks everybody else at the position down a peg in terms of their ability to get on the field and get some snaps. So that's sort of a, a huge wild card. If he's available to play and healthy, you know, I think he slots in ahead of some of these young guys that are a little more unproven. Final one. Um, and this is a guy coming off an injury. You probably know who I'm going to talk about, but CJ Ayu was was discussing in spring practice um, some guys that just have a knack for rushing the passer, just have those natural moves. Um, and obviously, you talked Steve Linton and and some of those guys that we've talked about. But Bryce Ramirez, are you buying or selling? Let's say I don't know six or more games that he's out there and active. Because uh, that kind of gets you through to September, kind of when he was injured, uh, and then maybe a year off and back in action toward the back half of next season. 
I'm going to sell just because it would be so crazy to me. Yeah. Not that I'm like doubting him personally. I'm just doubting almost anybody's ability to recover from that injury and come back and, and, and play the next season. Yeah, there's a comment. He plays in all 15 games this year. Dude, I would love that. And yeah. y'all could – old takes expose me if that happens. Um, I would I'd love be, that there's 15 games. Yeah, I'd be thrilled to be wrong. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm just sort of in wait-and-see mode. I, I want him to be healthy. If he wants to play again, I'd totally be his biggest fan and, and supportive of that. Um, but, man, just the brutal nature of that injury and him still kind of coming back, I think – you outlined his timeline that, you know, it was okay. He's going to start walking without a boot soon. And then he'll start running in non-contact drills and he'll, you know, start working out without the, the weight support. So I, I don't know. I mean, it just feels like that's still a bit of an uphill climb to obviously miss, uh, I don't know, 80% of the fall. And then uh, to probably miss the entire contact portion of spring is it's a tough hill to climb back from. I hope he does it, but if you're giving me a guy coming off a broken leg like that or a guy who's perfectly healthy going through spring, obviously I'm going to say it's more likely the healthy guy gets meaningful snaps in the in the fall. Yeah, and it, it is interesting to listen to Joey McGuire talk about depth because the position coaches still feel like they're not satisfied with the depth in some ways. Uh, certainly you always want to get better. You always want to be better, and I'm sure they're just tamping down expectations to a certain degree because that's what coaches do. Uh, Joey, quite the opposite, has said this team would beat the bowl team by 14, um, has talked about <laughs> this team just looks way better or whatever else. Um, but it, it does feel like there's a certain amount of feel this spring that you do have an opportunity to allow guys to not be out there if they don't need to be because you do have better depth. Uh, we talked about, I think there's 12 guys sitting out. Uh, it felt like Joey thought that some of them could play if it was a game, but there's no need to have them out there stressing themselves because you have depth to not need them. Um, and I think you're going to be able to take some veteran days off or uh, just put like Bradford and, um, Hutchings and walkthroughs and let the young guys go out and bang bodies because those other guys you've seen, you know what they can do. Uh, you need some of these young guys who haven't seen it to go out and see it, and you need to see them do it. So I think that's another thing that you can kind of look at and read between the lines and say this, this coaching staff does feel like they're way deeper if they're allowed to do that um, throughout the spring. One last thought on Bryce Ramirez, and this is going to sound all sappy and raw, Rob, but you don't necessarily need him to make 80 tackles this fall to have an impact on the team. I think if he's in full pads and like available, even if he's not in the two deep, I think he could sort of be an inspiration to the locker room and be like, hey, you, you know, you always hear this on senior night, like, hey, let's go out and fight for these seniors. It gives like he could be a guy that you prop up as an example like that and say. If he can work his way back from that, y'all can be tough enough to endure whatever's going to happen over the next 60 minutes. And I think he could still be an asset to you that way, even if he's not really on the field. Oh, for sure. I mean, can you imagine, let's say he doesn't play against Wyoming uh, and maybe even not against Oregon, but if he comes out, right, and the Texas Tech crowd's pretty smart. They, they know who somebody is and, and what's going on. 
if he runs out there versus, oh, I just blanked on the uh, Tarleton. Is Tarleton or, or Abilene, State? right? Oh, it's AC, is it ACU? It's one or the other. It's a purple <laughs> FCS. I completely I think it's ACU. Yeah. Uh, if he runs out there, that's how much I care about that game. Uh, but if he runs out there during that game, you're going to get a, a standing ovation, and it's going to be pretty incredible. Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I might get some West Texas in my eye if he, if he does that. For sure. I have to go look up the football schedule because I feel really bad that I can't remember. I was thinking ACU, and then when you said Tarleton, I was like, well, it might be. Tarleton, yeah. Okay. It's Tarleton. But you do have ACU. I think they're next year. Coming down the pike, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and Bryce Ramirez is a guy who's been, um, oh, what do they call it, the zero-gravity uh, treadmill. I I don't know. It just – I think by the end of spring, he's supposed to be able to run without that. So that's a that would be a real – Real quick, yeah. The 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 chat's helping us saying we're too focused on Laramie. Absolutely. The Alter G treadmill. I think it was I think it was BJ Simmons. It might have been somebody else, but the night he got hurt in uh in Raleigh, you know, he didn't he's not just known because he got that injury. Like he was playing really good football. And I, I think what BJ tweeted and like gave me some levity and what was otherwise a horrific uh, moment um he was like man 54 was on their ass too <laughs> i was like yeah he was like he that's, was um he, he was playing really well against a good team like nc state was very solid last year you had to play them on the road and so i mean if he gets back to a fraction of that and, and can play period but play at a level close to that it'd be just a tremendously inspiring story when what started that conversation was cj you saying he had some natural ability um, something they also said about Josiah Pierre, uh, I think it was Joey talking about Josiah Pierre moving back to linebacker from outside linebacker or edge, uh, whatever you want to call it in this defense. Um, but basically just being forced to play defensive end last year, uh, he came here as a linebacker, um, will go back to that kind of off ball linebacker role this year. And I think he's really excited for that, um, athletic enough for sure. But that also just speaks to what this coaching staff feels about the defensive line, that they think they have enough depth now, again, depth uh, to allow him to move back to linebacker. Yeah. And, and that sounds like basic stuff probably to most football programs, but depth was just not yeah. a, a luxury that you had. And it, it shouldn't be a luxury. Like, that should be pretty standard operating procedure. But, um, yeah, man, there were times it was like, okay, we've got – like one interior defensive lineman, you know, and if he needs a breather or he gets hurt, like there's not much behind him. And you certainly don't feel like that anymore. All right. We've talked about the offensive line quite a bit uh, on this podcast already, but uh, there was kind of an update on who was where uh, we talked about Caleb Rogers moving inside uh, during bowl practice. Uh, he has actually flipped to playing right tackle. And Monroe Mills has flipped to left tackle. So you flipped your tackles. Um, Cole Spencer, left guard. Rusty Stats, center. And then Dennis Wilburn has been playing right guard. That's the ones. So you also have Landon Peterson, who's not going through spring. Um, Jacoby Jackson, who's playing both card positions. 
uh, and then Ty Buchanan, who's working in it at a couple of the tackles there. They have all started games for Texas Tech uh, and will be available. So what is that, eight starters now? And last yeah. year coming in, you felt like you had about three and a half? Yeah, and, and even last year, um, as frustrating as it was at times, you had a guy like Ethan Card who started back during some Wells era games, and he was a backup. So you've, I think, recruited and re-recruited that position, gotten some guys in the portal from Western Kentucky and, and elsewhere to shore that up. Like, are they going to be an A-plus unit that dominates the other side? Maybe not. I hope so. And I have some hope uh, just based on how they trended during the season last year that um, a guy like Hamby can coach them up and, but yeah, you feel like you have depth now at, at multiple spots where if a guy gets hurt or isn't performing well, that you can move some pieces around and, and be okay. Um, and it's a it's a point of emphasis going forward. Clearly, in in the high school recruiting, like there were some Cliff classes and Wells classes. Like, okay, we have two high school offensive linemen. Well, there's five on the field at once. You know, you're recruiting roughly the number of guys that play on the field every year, 22. So, like, you should have roughly five offensive linemen in most classes. And so then you find yourself after recruiting two offensive linemen, two years in a row, you're like, oh, we have no depth at that position. I'm like, well, yeah, because um, you took six receivers and two linemen in that class. So it's good to see them address that. And, and unfortunately, that's a position, maybe the position that's most um, most unlikely to have a guy come in as a true freshman or a redshirt freshman and make an impact. So you might not see that pay dividends from your high school recruiting at least until maybe 2024. But clearly they understand that that's a position of need every year, every recruiting cycle. And, you know, they'll, they'll replenish in the portal if they need to, but they're also taking guys from the high school ranks, developing them. And so I, I I'm, that might be the position group I'm most curious about because I think not only do they have room to improve from last year, but I think there's legitimate reason to think that Hamby can get it done with these guys and they could make a pretty serious leap compared to some other position groups year over year. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think if you were a C last year toward the end, because I still don't think you were great, you could start as a B this year. Uh, and jump another full letter grade by the end. I, I do feel like that's where you are with this offensive line. I do. Well, and you remember midseason when we were frustrated that they weren't running the ball. And th there were times where you – like I remember the Baylor game. I think both Taj and Sir Roderick had four-and-a-half-plus yards per carry. They might have both had five or six yards per carry in that game. But they combined for like 16 touches. Uh, but there were other games like Houston earlier in the season. It's like, well, I know why we didn't run it because we averaged two and a half yards per carry. And like, you just can't do that. Right. Um, and so, I mean, that's my dream situation to have an offensive line that can push people around in the run game. And, you know, you're running back and get five or six yards without even having to break a tackle. Um, I would love to see them get there. And I, I do think, again, that they were trending in the right direction toward the end of last season. Even a guy like Caleb Rogers, who – certainly struggled early. I mean, uh, that dude from U of H Parrish, I think had six sacks in that game by himself. Something like that. Yeah. Um, American records. athletic conference record, if I recall correctly. Um, and then later in the season we're in Ames and uh, Will Anderson 
who's like the Big 12's all-time leading sack getter, I think had one sack. And, you know, that's not a bad day at the office for any pass rusher. But And so I think you saw signs from him, but I I think Monroe Mills was probably your better tackle at the end of last season. So that switch from him going right to left, that makes sense to me. Um, And then, yeah, the fact that a guy like Jacoby Jackson, who – was basically a starter toward the end of last season. The fact that he's maybe your sixth man or something, Landon Peterson, we'll see if he factors in as a starter once he's healthy. But having guys like that coming off the bench potentially, yeah, um, you absolutely needed guys like that talent-wise, experience-wise to be starters in years past. And so it feels like you have a little bit of a luxury of, of depth um, at that position group that you haven't had in a while. Well, another thing about depth is for so long, especially on defense at Texas Tech, it didn't matter how you played. You were all they had. But yeah. And that's what it felt like on offensive line last year. Like, what do you people want? You don't have anyone else to put. That's your best five. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not another five. But now if somebody's not performing, you feel like you're pretty well able to put somebody else in. Uh, and I feel like that's going to be the same on the defensive line this year. Hey, if the, one of these edge rushers isn't producing, if Miles Cole's not producing, Steve Linton's going in. If Linton's not producing, a data ray is going to go in. So you finally have some of this um, competitive edge and practice that you just have not had. And I think that's going to make you better. Well, and that's what we kind of thought was going to happen with Ty Buchanan at one of the tap spots last year. You know, we're like, okay, so you can replace Caleb Rogers at left tackle. Is Mills going to go to left and Buchanan to right? And so a guy like that that was close to earning a starting spot last year, kind of lurking. You're absolutely right. Like, there's no way that during two days or whatever, um, either tackle can take plays off or have bad practices and not, you know, have a guy breathing down his neck, which, like, that can, I guess, get in your head a little bit. But you'd rather have multiple guys capable of playing a limited number of positions than the opposite problem, which is what you've had for a large part of the last decade. Right, and you're getting them all in the nutrition program and getting bigger and stronger. Uh, Kyle, if you could go on a nutrition program, uh, what would you go on? I'd do the all-Rahino carnivore diet, and I hope that our offensive linemen are well-fed. Um, if they don't cater Rahino after some of these practices, they might consider it. They could get them some some Trinity platters yeah. and let the boys have a little bit of everything, some sausage, some brisket, some ribs, a couple sides. You know them, you love them, RahinoBBQ.com. Follow him on social at Rahino BBQ. I guess the gospel is spreading, Robin. People have heard about him, and so the, the lines are long, uh, whether you're in Olton or you find their mobile food truck going across West Texas. So get there early, order ahead online to make sure your food is there when you arrive. Best barbecue in West Texas, Rahino Barbecue. Amen. One more note from uh, all the press conferences. Oh, I have two more notes. Um, Austin McNamara, one of the big reasons he came back was to expand his portfolio. Uh, and one of the things he's going to be doing this year is the kickoff duties. Um, I, I don't really have any thoughts on that. I'm glad he's back because he's one of the best punters in the Big 12. Uh, according to Joey McGuire's mic'd up, he's also one of the most attractive punters in the Big 12. Best looking punter, I think is what he said. Uh, but if, if he's also now the kickoff artist... Um, hey, draft stock, come come back to Lubbock and find more things to do and raise your draft stock, even if you're a specialist. 
Yeah, I think that was unfortunately part of the knock on Garibay coming out was as good of a season as he had kicking field goals in 2021. I believe Trey Wolf was your kickoff specialist. Yep. And, you know, obviously in the NFL, the kicker is probably the least valued roster spot, that or punter. And so if you're a kicker who can only do field goals and can't do kickoffs like that, immediately makes you less valuable than a guy who can do kickoffs, who can make field goals just as good as you. Uh, So I think that's smart. You know, he's a guy that say, okay, all things even, like I punt just as good as these eight or 10 other free agent punters that you're looking at, but I can send kickoffs out the back of the end zone. Uh, That, that can do nothing but enhance his professional prospect. So yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting to watch. And I think you also, you kicked a couple out of bounds last year. And uh, that's always frustrating. So, yeah. if he can kick it straight and far, sign me up. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want any uh, special stuff. Just kick it deep, man. Yeah, probably the end zone. Yeah. One more striking thing I saw. I was watching the Kenny Perry. Um, they do the drills. Uh, one the drill a day. I think they've done about six of them. Uh, they did one with Juice. They did one with uh, Hamby, the offensive line. They did the Sparta drill. Uh, that was a pretty funny video. Uh, but they did a Kenny Perry one with the running backs, and I, I was struck by one of the running backs. All right, so we know Cameron Valdez, 5'9", 205. We know Bryson Donnell, uh, 5'10", 220. We know Taj Brooks, 5'10", 230. Uh, there's a gentleman named Clazarion Campbell, sophomore. Uh, I didn't recognize him either, number 33. But then there was this number 24, and I was like, who is that? He's massive. So I went and looked him up. Anquan Willis, we've not talked about this guy. Um, the fourth or fifth on the running back death chart, but he is six foot, 220, as a true freshman from Wichita Falls Rider. Six foot, two, he's two inches taller than every other running back. Uh, he just looks like a grown man in the running back room. Um, if he is able to, I don't know, be the short yardage guy or just a hammer or doesn't play this year and is a special teams guy and just comes in and and is a guy in the next couple years, that just speaks to the different kind of athlete you've been recruiting. Six foot two twenty as a freshman running back. He was the poster child for maybe my biggest frustration with former head coach, Matt Wells. And I look, we're like two years removed from the Wells era. So I don't want to harp on this too much, but you've got this insane athlete playing five, a or six, a ball West of I 35. Why does he not have a Texas tech offer? Yeah. Like my general philosophy, and I'm not a professional scout. I should not be hired by any university to do high school football recruiting, but if you're situated in Lubbock and there's any kid in El Paso, Amarillo, Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, San Angelo, Abilene, or Wichita Falls, or the surrounding areas of those six or seven cities, who has a power five offer, also have an offer out to that guy. Like maybe your biggest detriment as a program is how geographically isolated you are. And so maybe there's only two power five kids in West Texas in any given recruiting cycle, but you need both of them. 
Like you cannot afford to not get your hometown talent. If you're TCU and you miss a kid in DFW, okay, there's 500 kids in DFW that can play power five ball. And so that, I think he was one of McGuire's very first offers when he got hired mid season. And you might even remember the, the clip of him calling him after a game. Uh, I think he played both ways in high school. So he had, you know, I'm sure several tackles and some rushing touchdowns. And he called him and offered him a scholarship over the phone, like on speaker in front of his teammates. And the guy was overwhelmed by the offer, of course, you know, emotional about it, ended up committing here. So obviously he wanted to come to school at Texas Tech. It's like, why does this kid and this version of this kid in other cities across West Texas for the last five years not have an offer to come play here? Made no sense to me. And so I'm glad we're recruiting our own backyard, even though we have a larger backyard than anybody else in the country, quite literally. Uh, you need those guys to stay home or at least freaking try. Yeah. And they have been. Uh, Chase says, how's the frame? Can he add weight? I feel like if he adds much weight, he'll be a linebacker. Yeah. And he certainly could be by the end of his career. I, I don't know. But it was just like, go back and watch that video of Cameron Valdez and, and Taj Brooks running through the drill. And then this beefcake running through it. And you're like, it's just a different kind of dude. Yeah. I, I don't want to hammer this point too much, but I remember – I don't remember the guy's name. Offensive lineman from Wall, Texas, maybe class of 2020, maybe 2021, uh, committed to Baylor. They didn't have a ton of competition for his services, which in hindsight, Baylor is where McGuire and Blanchard were at the time. Right. But the explanation given on Red Raider Sports, who does great work covering recruiting for Texas Tech, like, yeah, the, the staff, like, he didn't meet their standard – Staff wasn't interested in offering. Like, are we really too good for anybody at this point? Like, right. you know, we went, we were given Houston Baptist all they could handle, um, but we're too good for an offensive lineman right outside of San Angelo that Baylor wants. And again, you have two offensive linemen in that class out of the high school ranks. Like, you can't add a third. We don't have the numbers for that. Like, are you kidding me? And then you and had so fifteen it, kids in the class. Yeah, and, and you were full with right. 12 guys. Like, how are we full? Anyway, I'll, I'll let it go. But uh, Anquan Willis, Wichita Falls, glad to have him here. All right. Uh, ready for the Diversified Lenders mailbag? I am. Diversified Lenders, if you need to take your accounts receivable, turn them into cash, call Diversified Lenders. Couple of Red Raiders there. Owned and operated by Red Raiders, for Red Raiders, and anyone else. You don't have to be a Red Raider to uh, partner up with them. Are there any players you expect to be in the top 5 to 10 for national awards, such as the O'Brien, Thorpe, Belitnikoff, etc.? If you allowed me to take one of Jaron Bradley or Dre McCray, I think if, these, if this Kitley offense really gets humming like it did at Western Kentucky – one or both of them is going to have Belednikov type numbers. Now, the other thing is typically you have to win a little bit to – like they're not going to give some 5-7 and seven team. You know, they're not going to give their running back the Doak Walker Award. Uh, but, yeah, if you win nine games and Jaron Bradley, Dre McCray have 1,500 yards, I think they'll be in some of those semifinalist, finalist kind of conversations for, for an award like that. Just from each position group – um, Malik Dunlap, 
if he can be as consistent as he was through a couple of his games last year, if he plays to his peak for a large stretch of the Big 12 season, I think he could be in position. Uh, what's the punter award? Ray Guy? Ray Guy. The yep. Ray Guy Award. Why not Austin McNamara? He's yep. been a, a long time, really high-level performer at Texas Tech. One more Jalen Hutchings Certainly. for an interior defensive lineman. Uh, he's getting a lot of love. Our, our very own Dave Campbell's uh, put out a top best interior defensive lineman in the state of Texas. He was number one. Bradford was number six. As a tandem, there was nobody uh, – there was no – duo of interior defensive linemen on that list from the same team that, that ranked higher. Um, and man, how long has it been at Texas, Texas? You could make that argument with a straight face even. I, I don't know. 2008. Yeah. So it's anyway, been a while. I think, I think uh, Jalen Hutchings might be, he might make some noise at that interior D line spot. I don't know the name of that award. Yeah. What about like a Shuck for an O'Brien award? If he goes full Bailey Zappi. Again, yeah, if the if the numbers are there. And how many touchdowns did Bailey Zappi throw for? 63 or something? Uh, Yeah, more than 58, I think, was the number. I mean, so if Shuck goes – if Shuck stays healthy and you win nine games and he throws for 4,500 yards and 45 touchdowns, like even if he's not really that close to Zappi's numbers, like, yeah, yeah. I mean – who else from the Power Five is going to be touching something similar there? When you you have to think he's going to have five or ten, you know, rushing touchdowns as well. Yeah, certainly. Just from his run in the final five games last year. Yeah, or four, whatever it was. Uh, if you had to serve the Masters Champions dinner, what would you choose? There was a, a ribeye, some tortilla soup at the Scotty Scheffler. I know you're a big tortilla soup guy. Yeah, but not – I mean, is this like you immediately do like following – No, you do appetizers and then a main course. It was uh, redfish and ribeye was the main course. The tortilla soup was kind of an appetizer deal. But is it immediately following a round of golf? No, it's uh, before. Everybody oh, okay. gets I there, like, I, I they wouldn't... eat the meal, and then – Yeah, I don't want hot soup after playing 18 no. holes. I, yeah. Um, or before well, I'd probably, I'd probably keep it simple meat and potatoes. I'd, I'd do some ribeye with mashed potatoes. I feel like that'd be a good meal. Yeah. I'd, I'd cater Rahino barbecue. <laughs> we already did that ad read. So. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> hey, tonight I had some, uh, habanero pork tamales. Ooh, very good. That does sound good. Like just the right amount of spice. Like they were hot enough for me to be like, Oh, these are hot. And like need a lot of water. Um, like any hotter, it would have been not enjoyable, but they were at least for my preference, pretty much perfect maximum amount of heat. I had a grocery store sushi. Okay. Big fan of it. Do you like sushi? Good luck. No. Did you say good luck? Yeah. Oh, they do great stuff over there. And I have an iron gut, so. <laughs> uh, this question, why is Kyle the way he is? I'm just reading the questions, man. Is this for me? Do I do I need to answer? You're not going to? Stonewall now? Okay. Uh, start bench cut pulled pork sandwiches, chopped brisket sandwiches, and sliced brisket sandwiches. You know my stance on pulled pork. You're cutting those. 
again, this is one of those, am I taking the median or like the ceiling? Because I think the best sliced brisket sandwich is better than the best chopped brisket sandwich. But you're more likely like the median chopped brisket is probably better than the median sliced brisket sandwich. So what are you starting? I'll start sliced beef, bench chopped, cut pork. I would start chopped brisket and bench pulled pork. I'm not anti-pulled pork like you. Oh, I see you answered the why is Kyle the way he is in the mailbag. Just giving the people what they want. Uh, okay, we uh, we we went a little crazy there for a while. Uh, what will Rossine's nickname for Grant McCaslin be? Uh, hopefully, McGaslin, but he does really more. He does a phrase, not a nickname. Right. So he'll say, maybe he'll maybe he'll do like a I'm loving it, like McCaslin. I'm loving it. Like a McDonald's play. Um, what else would he, do you remember what it was with, Oh, it was Chris Beard fully loaded when he was here, which and then made more sense than he realized. <laughs> and then it was Mark Adams. The defense never rests. Neither one of those is all that creative. No. Well, John Rossi is not very creative. Yeah, I mean, you could say, like, any coach's name, fully loaded. Yeah, that's why he does the same thing every time. He's not creative. But but someone, like, if you say tougher than a weekend at your in-laws, like, that's at least a little bit. But that's, like, an he, old phrase. Like He thought about that, though. Like He read it somewhere. Fully loaded is just, like, an adjective. It's like saying Mark Adams, good basketball coach. Like, it's barely a step above that. So, anyway, I'll say, I'll say Grant McCasland. I'm loving it. Is that like bad enough for Rothstein to do it? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think it's good. Well, what's yours? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I like uh, McCas McGasland Super Premium. Yeah. Unleaded. <laughs> Diesel fuel. Diesel. Uh, when will we hear about the assistant coaches on the basketball staff? Well, you'll either hear about it when everybody else hears about it. Member of our Patreon community, there's like a, I don't know, 5 or 10% chance that you'll hear about it before everyone else hears about it. I'm not going to say that we like get scoops all the time and share inside info in there. It's happened on occasion. But if you want to roll the dice, there's only $5 a month. Patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. Um, I would think soon-ish, now that the season is officially over, uh, like for, for the entire sport. Um, I'll say, well, you're about to go into Easter weekend. I'll say next week. You'll you at least get a decent amount of clarity. I don't know if the entire staff will be in place at that point, but hopefully you have at least one or two key assistants formalized by that point. I'm moderately surprised you haven't had any already because I think there's somebody already on campus. I think there's at least two already on campus working. So I would say you'll have at least two announcements before Good Friday, which would be tomorrow. Thursday, if you're listening to this late. Yeah. And we'll see. How big of a Brinks truck will it take for Norrance to be the Minister of Culture? And I'm going to add on, or like 
the director of player personnel. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll have a good idea for that uh, shortly. Yeah, we'll try to ask him that. Uh, Big Hint says, do I have to do my taxes? You don't have to. But for every decision, there's a consequence. Would you do you do you do your taxes, Kyle? No comment. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna save this one for Norrence as well. Uh start bench cut these bosses to work for Michael Scott, the boss from the office space, or Darth Vader. Darth Vader's a character on Star Wars, Kyle. Do you know what Darth Vader's mom's name is? Legitimately? No, it's like I'm setting up a punchline to a joke. No, I don't. Ella. Ella Vader. Um, I guess I'll cut Darth Vader because he's a bad guy, right? Yeah, he does the force choke. Okay. Um, uh, I'll probably start Michael Scott. I would. I think I would be okay there, and then bench the guy from Office Space. Was that the other option? Uh huh. Okay. You ever seen Office Space? Yeah. Okay. I would actually probably go the same way. I don't want to get force choked. I mean, you could literally die if Darth Vader's your boss. I feel like I could handle Michael Scott. I think me it would too. Just be entertaining for me. Um. Lots of people are asking the. Uh, okay, all right, come on, guys. It's the it's not it's it's not the reply bag, guys. <laughs> now we're just talking about taxes. I'm gonna I'm gonna get off the the mailbag. I think we've asked enough. All right, final thoughts uh, on this week's Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football episode. I'm excited to go rewatch a bunch of games from the 2022 season. Uh, I mean, it's still baseball season. And I'm enjoying that, but once basketball ends, man, that itch starts scratching in terms of college football. So um, I've already rewatched the Texas Tech versus Houston game. I'll probably just go in chronological order. I'll watch the wins and the losses. Um, you know, final thought. In years past, uh, there were some pretty bad losses, like blowout losses that you would not have any interest in watching again. I guess Baylor got out of hand at the end. NC State, you never really felt like you were really in striking distance. But even your losses were somewhat competitive and might make for an interesting rewatch that you could have some takeaways from. And just different than losing like 63 to 10 to OU or whatever in 2019. Or uh, So anyway, that's my final thought is um, I'm starting the rewatches. And honestly, the countdown to kickoff is uh, not that far away. Game you're most looking forward to rewatching, and game you're least looking forward to rewatching. Least is probably, well, probably TCU. Ooh. Um, just because it was like an ugly. Yeah, and you know game. how you finish it. Yeah. Um, like I said, Baylor got more out of hand for sure, but I feel like the first three quarters were. I think it was a one touchdown game going to the fourth. 
and, and TCU didn't get out of hand either, but you just like couldn't move the ball. Yeah, and um, it, you just know how it finishes. And yeah, Tyler Shuck uh, was so bad at the end. Now he redeemed himself, yeah. but the one I'm most looking forward to, I guess. Man, maybe OU. Yeah, that's I what think. I would say. Um, you know, the bowl game is sort of an easy answer, but even that was there were so many turnovers on downs from both teams, and, you know, just a little sloppy. But OU, I think people forget you were down by 21 or 24 and uh, just had an insane end of the second quarter to give yourself a shot at halftime. And then um, and, and what I like about that game is you didn't need it for bowl eligibility. And, you know, it was kind of just like a, a pride game. Like we're going bowling regardless. We're probably not really going to enhance or hurt our bowl position based on what happens here. Um. And yeah, it was just there's a lot of fireworks in the second half. Those two Reggie Pearson hits, which of course now he's on the other side of that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the one I'll most look forward to rewatching. Agree. Very excited to rewatch that one. Um, I don't think I have any final thoughts beyond uh, what we talked about. You look good in a cowboy hat, man. I'm I'm glad you've uh, put that in the rotation. Thanks. I don't know if this is my fault or your fault, um, but you've you've cut out on me for a few seconds at a time, a few times. So I don't know if that. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't show up on the recording. But uh, you've anyway. also cut out, and that will definitely show up on the recruiting recording because it's on my end. Oops. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. Technology, am I right? I go. Getting to know the gauchos earlier in the episode, my dogs started barking. Yeah. And I passive aggressively texted my wife and said, I'm recording a podcast, which she already knew I was doing. And then later on, she was running the garbage disposal, which I don't know if you could hear that. But I went back on my iPhone and like emphasized I'm recording a podcast. So I might be in trouble when I uh, get out of the studio here, out of the Cardinal Sports Center studio. To be fair, I didn't hear the the garbage disposal. Okay. I'll let her know to put her mind at ease. Yeah. I'm sure she'll be much more at ease now. (laughs) I'll I'll leave the people with that little tidbit. All right. We'll uh, see you later, Kyle. Love y'all.